Welcome to the Joyfully Raising Grands podcast. I'm your host, Laura Lee. We are so glad that you joined us today. The Joyful Brand podcast and membership is geared towards grandparents raising grandchildren with a focus on community, resource, and love. We hope to shine a light on the positive actions we can take every day to become our best selves, serve our grandchildren well, and find joy every day. The Joyfield subscription box is open and accepting new subscribers. If you are a busy woman looking for a joyful experience, we would love to serve you in this way. Joyfield is a monthly subscription box curated for busy women with so much love and joy. Our goal with this box is simple, to give you a joy-filled experience. We know that you're busy, often taking care of others, and likely not spending time on yourself. Contents of the box are a surprise each month and themed. Often, products are attire, self-care, self-love, motivational items chosen with love and joy for you. If this sounds like something you would love, hop over to myjoyfilled.com to subscribe. Cindy Schuster is a PCI certified parent coach and a nurtured heart approach trainer. For the past five years, she has been working with parents and teachers in the Baltimore area and beyond to provide effective and transformational strategies to improve relationships with the children in their care. Cindy has her BS and MS in education with a minor in child psychology. Prior to parent coaching, Cindy worked as an elementary teacher for 10 years. Cindy has lived in the Baltimore area for 30 years with her husband and three sons, and she is passionate about helping families and educators navigate the complex challenges of modern-day parenting and teaching and helping to bring more peace and joy into their homes and classrooms. We are thrilled to have Cindy on the show today. Cindy, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to introduce you to our audiences, and I know that you have just such wonderful words of wisdom to share with them. I'm going to give you just a minute to introduce yourself. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. And yeah, so my name is Cindy Schuster, and I am a certified parent coach. Um, I was certified through PCI, Parent Coach Institute, which is a year-long graduate level program. So I did that about five years ago and then found my way into another program called the Nurtured Heart Approach. Um, So I fell in love with that and I am now a certified trainer in the Nurtured Heart Approach. Um, And then just prior to that, I was an educator for many years and raised a bunch of my own kids. So um, that all of those roads sort of led me here um, to be doing the work that I'm doing. And so for the last five years, I've just been working in this capacity. I do seminars and workshops. I work one-on-one with parents. I work with small groups of parents um, and educators. I do some training, some teacher training just to help teachers in their classrooms. Just And, and I guess basically my overall purpose is just to bring um, relation to to help parents and teachers anybody really working and in charge of children to help them to deepen and improve relationships and to bring more joy to those interactions and um, reduce stress and so I feel like with all of my life experience and these certifications that I have earned I've been able to really synthesize a nice little nutshell of parenting strategies, approaches, foundational principles that are helpful, things that I was struggling to find the entire time I was parenting. You know, I always tell people that my book is going to be called Do As I Say, Not As I Did. So (laughs) I feel like now I can give this gift to other people, um, you know, because my own story was a little bit um, eye-opening, honestly, because I had three children and, um, my oldest was really easy and I sort of attributed his wonderful behavior to my amazing parenting. I thought, oh, it's look at me, you know, I've got it all, you know, I had this teaching background and um, yeah, he's just great because when you're a great parent, you get a great kid and you know, the universe has a way of humbling us. So when I had my next son, not so fast. So he was definitely came to the world with strong opinions and a fierce need for autonomy. And we butted heads for, the better part of, you know, a decade and a half until we really figured out how to work with him differently. And 
I found myself sort of just wanting to help others in that capacity. I, you know, friends and people I meet who were saying that they were having similar struggles. Oh, I tried this, do this, do that. Um, and so I think everything sort of all roads led to me being here because we went through, I would say even some things that I would consider traumatic for our family. Um, and so when I'm working with people, for me, I can be um, a very non-judgmental and empathetic person in, you know, a partner in their experience, because I've been there. There's nothing that anybody could say to me that I would be shocked by or that I would judge them over because we, we went through really all of it. And, and I think I almost had to have, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing, I don't think, and have um, the ability to really be an effective coach to other parents, because I, I can really bring my experience, my own life experience and, and share that these anecdotal kind of stories and, and help them through similar things. So that was a really long introduction, but yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's important for us to know who we're dealing with. I had a couple of questions. You had mentioned, mentioned the nurture heart approach. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that is? That's a, a new term to me. Yeah, sure. So um, nurtured heart approach uh, was developed by a man named Howard Glasser, who was um, a therapist working with really challenging behaviors, um, you know, children that that really, really needed a lot of uh, help regulating. And he was sort of discovering that the things that he had learned to do were not working. And in fact, in a lot of situations, it seemed like things were getting worse. So that just sort of led him to research. Um, and what he discovered in, you know, simplistically is that most of the time we have a, a pretty upside down relationship with the kids in our charge. So there's an energy that we bring to all of our interactions. And for most of us, and this was me included, um, that you tend to really show up much bigger and much more energetically when there's a problem. There, there's no parents that are ever too busy to show up for a problem. And the opposite, when things are going well, which is happening kind of all of the time, we tend to just kind of take it for granted because our kids are quote unquote doing what we're supposed to be, what they're supposed to be doing. So you just, you know, even biologically we're wired that way to, escalate when there's a problem. It's like the proverbial saber-toothed tiger hiding in the bushes. Like our body doesn't know the difference. This is a toddler on the floor screaming and crying. And that's no threat to us whatsoever. But to our brain, um, it gets activated as if that is a, you know, emergency. And we behave that way. We, we need to get this thing to stop right away. And are, you know, you even feel it physically. So you show up big in those moments. And for a lot of kids and particularly intense kids, they just want relationship and connection, period. And it's essential. It's as essential as clothing them, feeding them, and, you know, taking care of their uh, health and well-being is they're also their emotional health. And so they'll fight for it. And if you have two really busy parents or one busy parent or whoever, and the, and the kid is learning from a very young age that, oh, my parents pay attention to me when things are crazy. Great. And this is exciting and it's different. And it's, oh, I, you know, the, the tenant from Nurtured Heart is, you know, you are your child's favorite toy. Okay. Yeah. So when you, you know, it's unpredictable. I don't know how this parent's going to react. And also I know as long as I keep going, they're going to stay in the game with me. So Nurtured Heart teaches parents and educators that you want to really learn a different way. You want to turn that around. You want to you want to turn the knob almost off, like be be um, horribly boring around negative behavior, um, where you can energetically kind of disconnect. And when there's these moments, which like I said, are happening all the time, you want to learn a language that's rich and energetic in connection. So that you're acknowledging and recognize the child for just the day-to-day -day stuff that they're doing. And, and it needs to come from a genuine place of um, heartfelt sort of gratitude so that it lands. And then the last part of Nurtured Heart is the idea of being absolutely clear. So we have absolutely yes is the first, absolutely no is the first stand, no to negativity. Absolutely yes, I'm gonna recognize and acknowledge and have rich connection around 
things that are going well. And then the last prong, absolutely clear. I'm going to set boundaries. I'm going to hold them and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to um, address them every single time. A toe over the line is over the line, you know, because a lot of parents um, tend to have what I call like moving target boundaries. So if you have um, a boundary, let's say around screen time, and you've said it's like 30 minutes a night or something like that. And then most parents don't really have a very clear path on how that's actually going to be navigated. They say it and they kind of mean it, but also they get busy and it's dinner and I'm washing up the dishes and I'm on my own phone and distracted. And I have a sense that my kid has started the screen time, but that time is never actually the 30 minutes if we're being perfectly honest. And then you realize, oh, I think they've been on for over. Let me go in and tell them time's up. And the child says, oh, you know, I don't want to get off. I'm on, I just give me five more minutes. I just need to get to the next level or to the commercial or whatever it is. And most parents acquiesce at that point that, you know, they don't hold the boundary either because they think they're being the nice guy or they don't want to deal with the child's tantrum. And it, to them, it looks like the easiest and kindest path forward. And then you walk away. And again, it's never five minutes, you know, sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, you know, I, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's, it's an hour. I better go back and get them off. And now you really mean it, you know, cause now you feel bad. You're mad at yourself, really. I let that boundary just be destroyed. So I'm coming in now with, with a serious intention. And the problem with that is that that first time around, you sort of, you had no boundary and you, you taught your child, oh, this is a negotiation table and they win that first round. And then you come back and you're trying to switch the rules on them. Now it's not a negotiation table and how you mean it, but they're still going with what you taught them, which was that we get to negotiate these things, but you, now you don't want to negotiate. So you tend to freak out, right? And yell. And how could you do this? I, I was so nice to you. I gave you so much extra time. And then now the child's lost out. They've been yelled at, shamed, sent to their room, lost the thing. And, and so we say in nurtured heart, you know, like second and third chances are not kind. They're confusing. They are unsettling. And, and the child nine times out of 10 is going to be the loser. And so that's it in a nutshell. And so what I, when I'm working with, with teachers, I just, we, we go through a whole presentation. Um, and I have different variations of the workshops that I do with that. With parents, I just sort of weave it into our parent coaching. So I teach them about all the different, um, you know, what absolutely no means, what it looks like, what absolutely yes means, what it looks like. I teach them how to use, you know, rich language and how to really feel connected. And like we say, you know, how not great would it be if that thing wasn't happening, you know, because honestly, a lot of the times parents will come to me when they're calling me, they, their sense of things is that everything's terrible. You know, my kid's never behaving. And when we get into it and I, and I ask them like, well, like what percent of the day are you in challenge? And nobody has ever said more than like 50%, which would be a lot of the day to be in a problem with a child. But that means that 50% of the time, this child is doing the right thing. And so you can hyper-focus on that and turn the knob down on this other, and it tends to right the ship. Um, so yeah, it's a very powerful, powerful approach, even though it's pretty simplistic. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that approach. You had also mentioned in your introduction that you had dealt with some trauma in your own family. Is that something that you want to get into or would you prefer to skip, skip over that? No, I'm, I mean, I think it's, it's a story that I think a lot of people have that you, you know, you have a child who, when they're young, starts to present intense, you know, you're, they're just not following the regular norm, you know, what I call normative parenting, where you say, oh, good job. And, and that's not like what we're talking about in Nurtured Heart, by the way, we call that emotional junk food, because <laughs> it doesn't land, you know, that's, that's like as energetic as we typically get, I am so proud of you. And, you know, for these kids, and, and this was my middle son was so fiercely independent, and so insistent on um, having autonomy and did not want to be told what to do. Um, so it started young and then he, he had uh, been diagnosed with ADHD and that 
started sort of his school journey where those kids tend to get a lot of shame built up in school settings, you know, because it's the, the expectation of sit in your seat, raise your hand for, for a lot of these kids is almost an impossibility. So they're getting in trouble constantly. And that was sort of his story. And it, it sort of escalated through middle school where it was just kind of happening all the time. And we were having a lot of volatility at home, like explosive behavior when he didn't get his way or he didn't like the things that we were saying. And we were doing the things that I was saying. So I would, we would yell at him. We would threaten him. We would pile on punishment after punishment after punishment. I will tell you what I was not doing. I was certainly not richly connecting with him for the good stuff. I mean, again, like we would acknowledge it, but, but if I, if I had known then what I know now, I would have reacted to him so differently. And, um, so it just got worse and he started to get into some risky behaviors, um, and ended up and, and impulsively like getting in trouble at school. He got in trouble, you know, in 10th grade, he got in trouble again when he was a senior and we're just racking our brains. Like what is going on with this child? And he's getting into alcohol and smoking pot. And it just, it was, it felt like even though he had gotten into college, God bless him through all of this we had just gotten to a point where we felt um, this is, this is like, we're white, not like what I say to parents, you're white knuckle parenting. You're just holding on for dear life and just hoping and praying that nothing terrible happens. And, you know, there were some, there were some scary incidents there. Um, and I'll, I'll respect his privacy and not go into the nitty gritty of that, but we just ended up doing a wilderness therapy um, which I talked to a lot of people about because there's so many people right now that are kind of going down this path. And, and I had to learn, I, going through my parent coaching program and going through the nurture hard also taught me how I could take care of my side of the street and do my work because there was no reason for a lot of the things that he was doing, especially when he was younger to have been so triggering to both my husband and I. And it's, you learn, like, if you're really in, if you really dig in and do the work, you can fix the way you're showing up. And, and that's kind of what I tell parents at the beginning of my relationship with them. Like, I can't make your kids behave. Nobody can. Kids are just people with free will, just like you are. And you just got to the earth a little bit before they did, but they're just, they, they are just a free thinking want to be the master of their own destiny in the same way. And you, nobody can control that. And any parent coach or, you know, specialist or therapist who says, Oh, I can get your kid to behave is lying, run for the hills. Right. So, but we can only work on us and we can change our side of the street. And by, by us changing and the parents I work with embracing these different ways of interaction, it invites the child to change. The child starts to understand and trust that the relationship is different. And so things tend to settle down, yeah. but um, yeah, so that was sort of our path. It was, and, and, and the good news is, is he's doing great. So he just graduated college and has a wonderful job and a lovely girlfriend and, you know, is really crushing life. And, but, you know, I will say he's still intense, you know, <laughs> that intensity, but the intensity now is channeled into greatness. He, he's, he's hungry for success. So it, it was just a shift. And that's kind of what Nurture Heart is sort of focused on too. It's saying intensity is not the enemy and we can, we can harness intensity towards greatness if it's, if it's fostered appropriately. Yeah. We wanted to dig in a little bit to the epidemics of anxiety and depression. So if we switch gears a little bit, perhaps Mm -hmm. get into this um, and maybe some of these topics actually lead there. So I will uh, just kind of leave the floor to you on those, on those topics. Yeah. So um, obviously, unless you've been living under a rock, you are aware that we are, I mean, it is a crisis. It's a, it's a terrifying crisis of depression and anxiety in our young people with the ages getting younger and younger of um, suicidal ideation, visits to the hospital for attempts and tragically suicides are just skyrocketing. And it really has been 
more recent, maybe in the last 20 years, you can see the uptick if you look at graphs that it just it's just going off the charts. And it's like every other day you're hearing about some, you know, beautiful young person at the prime of their life. And it's just befuddling. And like we were talking about earlier, the um, typical sort of finger pointing goes to most people say, yeah, well, it's just the, it's a society, it's, well, the pandemic people would point to, but the reality is, is that this has been going on well before the pandemic. The pandemic just made it that much worse. The, the social isolation certainly escalated things, but you have, you know, people point to social media, the fear of missing out and how people, you know, there's cyberbullying and there is um, the addictive nature of the phone and the fact that, the, you know, when kids are using the phone, it's the, or the screens, it's constant dopamine hit and that can co- sort of lead to depression and, and addiction to the screens. All of that is true. And, and the busyness of our lifestyles and the disconnection that we have and we don't have community. And, and that is all stuff that we should probably work on ASAP. But what I, my work with parents I've worked with parents who have kids who were already diagnosed with anxiety and depression where they have been given medication and they're living under, you know, how most parents describe living with with a child like that on eggshells. And um, out of Yale, there has been studies that are sort of validating what I've been sort of, what I've been saying, which is we need to change because the, um, other cultures that have the same sort of problems or issues that we have around screen time and social media, they are not seeing the levels of anxiety, depression, suicide that we are in this country. So in our country, we have this sort of unique way of parenting that we have become very averse to our child having any kind of discomfort. And and that was what they started probing into um, in Yale. And and they have, I think the program is called SPACE, and I forget exactly what the acronym stands for now, but they're only working with the parents in the same way that I do and seeing incredible results. And the things that they were pointing out in the study are the same things that I am pointing out that we, you know, like you said, this, this idea of helicopter parenting, and there's a lot of things that kind of fall under that umbrella. It goes in a lot of different directions. Sometimes it's, I can't tolerate my child's discomfort and loss and frustration and disappointment. And parents will do anything to help them avoid that. And that is really misguided because what that actually does is just rob the child of important life lessons. Everything that you've learned and gotten better at has come from failure. And so what ends up happening with a child like that, who's raised the whole way through where the parents are sort of, you know, coddling or, or, or even going to extremes in the other direction of, um, you know, pushing the kid to be in higher level classes where they really would be much happier and just like the average class. And that's kind of where they belong, but parents can't tolerate that either. Um, this drive for perfect that your child is not born for you to be the carpenter of their life. But most parents in our culture sort of have this vision of what a successful life should look like. So by the time my child graduates high school, they'll have you know, been on this many teams, they'll have leadership, they'll have the right friends, and they go through all these machinations through the child's life to make sure that they're getting there. And if they don't get if they're they're going off track, parents tend to react in very um, inadvertently, they don't realize they're saddling their children with a lot of baggage. Um, These expectations that I'm not okay, if you're not okay. And then kids will go inward, because they see this parent that's sad that they didn't make the team, got the got the bad grade, um, doesn't have the right friends through these questions that we ask, which seem harmless, but they're really not. Like, did you sit with anybody at lunch today? When what we really mean is, do you have friends? Um, don't you want to invite anybody over this weekend? So we, we can't tolerate it. And so we intervene and we say, well, I would do anything for my child, which is really, if you think about it, insanity. Like we should be willing to do anything for a child. And, and the other one that I detest is that you're only as happy as your least happy child. Because in it, it means I am putting my emotional well-being square. I'm, here's, your, here's the backpack and I'm going to put it on my kid. And, and I'm going to make sure you understand that 
I'll be okay as long as you're okay, which is just a terrible message to give to kids. I was just thinking the codependency, in my opinion, is is a generational issue. Like I see it all over and it's the codependency for we as, as adults place on the fact that our kids are happy. 100%. So when our son went to, had to do wilderness, we, it was one of the things that they recommend is going to Al-Anon, even if you don't think that, that there's an addiction to learn about that. <laughs> codependency. And one of the things that I took from there that was incredibly helpful to me and required a lot of bravery on my part. And what I encourage the parents that I work with to do is to detach from the outcome. So you can imagine if you have a child who's in the worst throes of addiction, how horrific that would be to do that. But it goes back to you're not doing the child any favors by continuing to coddle, um, make their life easy, make it soft, because what you're really doing, particularly if there was an addiction, obviously you're, you're letting the addiction go on. Um, so in our day-to-day life, it, it shows up that way. I need a certain outcome to be okay. So I tell parents, detach from the outcome. Like, what is the worst thing? If like, like this notion, the worst thing that ever happened was this online grade reporting that started mm-hmm. to come out because parents are obsessed with it. And, and it, they're obsessed with checking it and then riding their child constantly. You're missing this assignment, you're missing that assignment, and it causes so much conflict. And, it, and I think it also makes parents feel guilty if they're not doing that because, oh, there's information there, shouldn't I be on top of it? And I, I encourage anybody I talk to or work with, never check it. never check it. That is not your, you don't need to know that because guess what? If your child is going, they still have interim reports and they're still report cards. Those are the two times of the year that you should know. And in between there, if there's a problem, hopefully if there's something uh, cropping up, the the teacher will reach out if it's something that needs your attention because, you know, teachers don't put grades in right away. It can look um, falsely horrible and parents react with these big, huge reactions. And, and if there are a lot of missing things, then the parents swoop in again. All right, now you're going to get a tutor and you need to go talk to your teacher. And now you're, you're not playing Xbox the rest of the week. So I encourage parents in those situations, like just take a breath, you know, in, in all of this, take a breath because what's the worst case scenario. Let's, I mean, a lot of the time that these are like fifth, sixth, seventh graders. I'm like, this is not going to dictate their life at all, but it's a wonderful learning opportunity. So instead of jumping in and solving the problem, be like, oh, you know, so it seems like you're having some difficulty in Spanish this year. Like, what's up with that? Is it, tell me what's going on in, a, in an approachable way. And then listen, <laughs> because a lot of times kids will be like, oh, my teacher's so mean. And what's your instinct? It's not your teacher. You know, I know you're on your phone and we negate that, you know, we've invited them to tell us. And then we say, well, what you're telling me, I don't believe. So that's a surefire way. You know, a lot of parents complain, they never talk to me. This is why, mm-hmm. because if they're talking to you and you, you have no space to just listen and accept their truth, even if it is ridiculous, you don't need to say it. You may be right in your thinking, but you can also just be a listener and say, oh, okay. So it sounds like, sounds like you feel like your teacher is unfair. It sounds like it's hard for you or the, or me. And a lot, I've done this with my youngest son and he'll say, I think I probably could have worked harder. I could have studied more. I don't punish him for not doing that but because he just said to me what he needs to do. And then once they do that, you can say, okay, well, what do you think you would like to do? Or what do you think would be helpful for you to start solving this problem and, and encourage your child to solve it. And in that situation, he was like, well, I think I'm going to talk to my teacher tomorrow. And he did, you know, and I think I was okay with the outcome. I had done my work. I I thought, you know, if he ends the semester and he's failed something, my life's going to go on. I'll wake up the next day and I'm still me. And I won't like it but I don't have to freak out about it and make sure and, and, and do everything in my power to make sure it doesn't happen. So, right. There's no, there's in a healthy relationship, there's the codependency needs to be worked on ego, throw it out the door, fear, throw it out the door and, and just do your best to remind yourself you're okay. Like whatever comes your way, it's just part of their journey. It's part of their experience. Everybody has, you know, it's the beautiful thing about life. Like we don't know how the past is going to go. And so you kind of have to a little bit 
show your kid that you can handle anything because you do want to keep the lines of communication open and you do want them to feel that you're going to at least listen to them, that they'll be heard by you. And I think that's when I talk to teens, that's like one of the biggest complaints that they just, their parents are just all over them. And when they do talk, their parents are telling them how all, like how their thinking is wrong. And so they just like, I don't want to talk to them anymore. Um, yeah, nobody wants to speak when they don't feel heard. It's a terrible feeling. It's a ter- like, if you went to your best friend and said, I, oh my gosh, my boss was horrible today. And they, oh, tell me about it. Well, you know, they gave me this project and I've been working on, they were really critical. And then the friend said, well, it sounds like you really dropped the ball there. You know, it sounds like the problem with you, like you would never go back to that friend again. So we, we treat our children in differently than even we would treat an acquaintance coming to us and talking to us. We, we, we don't give them that same ear and space to communicate with us. And, um, and I get it. It, it, you know, I think it is, it's a fear of what could happen. You know, you start to see some bad grades and you just, this instinct to like, this fear, like this is going to be an out of control roller, you know, it's, you know, rolling down the hill out of control. And so I need to do something right. I need to do something right now to stop this. So in addition to listening with a better ear, perhaps, what are some things that we can do as parents to help our kids, our teens, um, work their way out of the anxiety ridden environment? What are some other things that we can do? Well, I think that, I think some of the things that I alluded to where, you know, when, when you look at, there's something called self-determination theory, where it says that we want to foster three things when we're raising children, fostering their autonomy, fostering their sense of competency and relatedness. So anything that you can do while you're raising children to give them lots of age appropriate autonomy, most of the time, even from a really young age, they should be doing things that they can do on their own and being being given choices. And the competency piece sort of ties into that too, because you want kids to feel, to find what they're interested in and foster their interests, you know, and that can be hard if you're raising a child who doesn't show up the way that you were, you know, if you were a really athletic, um, social butterfly in high school, and you, you see that you're raising a child who is maybe a little bit more introverted and wants to go more in the theater music side of things, it can feel really uncomfortable. And again, it's this American notion of there's an ideal that I want, you know, and, and I like when I'm giving work to some, like it's a newsflash, not all your kids and actually probably none of them are going to go to Harvard on a lacrosse scholarship. It's just probably not going to happen. And so what, and embrace the average. Um, so I would say putting the relationship above all else, above anything else, so that you want to have connection and acceptance of the child exactly for who it is that they are. And so we don't want to do shaming things and like, how could you have done that? And, you know, what's wrong with you? And what were you thinking? Because for, first of all, they're not really thinking anyway until they're like 26. So (laughs) it takes about that. I think 24 to 26 is when that prefrontal cortex gets fully formed. (laughs) Um, and when kids are like dysregulated in anger or upset and you're over there trying to do reasoning and, and well, if you don't stop this nonsense, you're going to have a, you know, this punishment, they're not, they cannot process that at that time. So let them have their moment and know, like, I, like a lot of us, and I, I used to feel this way too, when it, when it was in the throes, I thought I had to address it right then. And, and it's okay to just take a breath and say, you know, I don't really love what's happening, but I'm, I'm going to cool off myself and we'll talk about what we, how we want to handle this moving forward, but just as much as you can just be calm and be able to have the capacity to handle whatever news comes your way. Kids are going to mess up. They're supposed to mess up. They're supposed to like experiment. And we, we, we don't like it. We don't want them to start experimenting with alcohol in high school or being, you know, having exploring their sexuality or any of that feels a little bit you know, when you have this little kid and you're raising them and they need you for everything. And all of a sudden they're turning into an adult, but it should be a tug of war that by 
the later parts of high school you've lost <laughs> and, and you've encouraged and fostered um, their independence. And I think that, that that really does tend to help kids settle down and they see a parent who really does accept them and can handle the ups and downs. You don't get on the roller coaster. They're on a roller coaster, even their high highs. Don't get crazy when the great stuff happens either, because that's also can be an inadvertent message that, oh, that's where I like you. I like you when you're achieving. I, I, I accept you best when you're achieving. So you don't want to also be like freaking out when the good news comes. Just be like, oh, that's so great. And give it back to the child. You really worked hard. You know, I saw you working so hard on that and you, your perseverance really paid off. You must feel so proud of yourself. We don't even have to say, I'm proud of you. I mean, that's not the worst thing in the world to say, but I would actually rather you say, you ought to be proud of yourself. That's quite an accomplishment. And you're hard, you know, don't tell them they're smart. They can't control their smart. Don't tell them they're beautiful. Not that you can never tell them that, but you know what I mean? Like give them, what is the thing that you're seeing? And that's one of the things that Nurtured Heart teaches. Like, what are the specific qualities that you see in your child, recognize them, point them out, show them where they're competent and, um, you know, try and stay out of it as much as you can in terms of their problem solving. I, when they get to the end of the road there, I encourage parents when, with the college stuff, like let that be your child's baby completely and let them know if you would like, what do you see for yourself after high school? And they're like, well, of course they're going to college. Well, maybe not. Maybe they want to go learn how to be a carpenter or maybe they'd like to take a gap year, like be okay with that. And also whatever that process is, let it be theirs. And my feeling always was if my child can't fill out an application, write an essay, get it in on time, then they're probably not going to do real well in college either. So I did not participate in any of it. I didn't refuse to help if they needed it. Usually it was for my credit card, <laughs> but they, you know, amazingly, all three of my kids got into college and they did okay. You know, it was, a, and, and not all of the college was perfect either. There were some bad grades and some drop costs and I didn't love that. But I, again, my answer was always like, what do you think happens? Where do you think you could have done better? And my son was on, he just slept through his alarm for his one class. Okay, well, what are we going to do about that? You know, so, um, and then yeah. you can have boundaries too, you know, so if they're just completely blowing everything off, what are you comfortable with? It's not about punishing bad behavior. It's about saying, I'm holding this boundary because this is where, this is where I'm comfortable. And, and I don't need to argue or lecture or convince you of my rightness. It's just, this is my comfort level. I am comfortable right here. And yeah, that's it. I don't need to go into a lot of explanations and I'm not, I'm not going to be comfortable paying college tuition for, you know, failing in D's. That's, that's just something that we're just not comfortable with. So I think using that language, staying calm, connecting with your kid, all of that will really actually minimize some of the stress and anxiety that they may be feeling with, with ways that you may have been advertently contributed to their feeling like they needed to show up a certain way. And it's not that we're bad parents or horrible people. These, you know, we're all, we all want the best for our kids. It's just that we don't realize that sometimes some of the ways that we're commenting or um, taking action are actually making our child hold a lot of anxiety and fear and stress, yeah. which then leads to depression, you know, cause if they feel powerless, they, or they feel like they're just gonna, um, mess up or they're on their own because they can't talk to you, then we, then we might have that compounded with a, with a depressive episode or, you know, some of the other worst. Oh my gosh. Yes. And on the flip side of that, I'll speak to the fact that I try to, I try to live by this philosophy that I give credit for the effort. Right. So Mm -hmm. when I effort, regardless of the outcome, when I see the effort, there's, there's, you know, conversation and praise for that. But regardless of how I even feel about it, I'll give you an example. We have multiple gardens this year. So we have done, by the way, I have to update our listeners. We, we did a garden that is a sunflower house garden for Lily. Mm. And so the walls are literally growing up. They're sunflowers, all the walls and we, they're K they're fenced in. So there's a door where she can walk into our, her sunflower house, but we have oh others. 
<laughs> so they're about this tall. Uh, they're about, you know, seven, eight inches tall at this point. So That's we're making cool. some progress. Yes, I've been updating listeners as we go. Um, but she's super excited about that. Um, but we have other gardens as well. Um, we did a community garden this this summer. So we have a garden out front that is really just for the walkers and the kids in our neighborhood. It's a snack garden. Everything in it is snackable and it is intended for people just to take a break in our front yard. It's in our front yard. I've never done a garden in the front yard. It's literally right there so that as people are walking by, you just stop for a snack. Oh and that is be your neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> but then we have, we have other, we have our own garden in the back of the house and we have other things, you know, and so it's, it's watering. It's a lot of work. And Mm-hmm. To my point, Lily is, she knows that this is a team project, right? This is not something that I am taking all the responsibility for, um, but something that we worked, we, we planned together. Uh, we chose what we were going to grow. We planted together. We, you know, took care of the soil. We watered together every single day. And there was a time uh, last week or the week before last, and I can't remember even what prompted this conversation, but I'm always, you know, if I forget, Lily will be like, oh, we didn't water today. We should run out and water. <laughs> it's like, yeah, thing. So, um, great. So, so one, we have like this um, 30 minute time when we're watering all these gardens, like it's just one-on-one time. And so regardless of what we've done in the day, it's just conversation one-on-one, no expectations, which is just in my opinion, it's really great quality time with each other. Mm-hmm. Don't know anything. But my point in all of this is that Lily came to this, this came to me and she was um, just beaming with the fact that she had had a hand in whatever was sprouting that day, whatever was coming up. And she was just so proud of the fact that she was involved in that. She is taking initiative. She is helping. She is doing. And I think when we when we come down on our kids for not doing or for trying to correct or course correct, we rob them of that opportunity to feel that self-pride in what they've done, that effort, that accomplishment. So I just wanted to mention that because it was a moment I, I recall when when uh, when we had the conversation and it was a moment just like this realization of that she's so excited and so proud to be at her nine-year-old self making these decisions and, you know, I mean, that's just awesome, right? Like, oh my gosh, there's autonomy there. There's competency there. The relatedness that you're doing it together, it's deepening your relationship. And, you know, kids really tend to do as best as they can with Mm -hmm. the skills that they have in any given moment. So it's always better to have more of a problem solving perspective rather than a punishing perspective. So even like, you know, I have my son's room's that's a whole other conversation. It's just, (laughs) oh my gosh. And so, you know, when we would say, go clean your room Mm -hmm. and they would go up and my, my one son would just be up there for like a minute or two. And, and I knew it was probably a, maybe an hour long job. I'm done, you know, with the big smile on his face. And he would come down and I'd walk back in the room like, like, what, what part did you do? Like, this is crazy. But I could, you know, we'd be like, no, you need to get back up here. Are you kidding me? How could you call this clean? In his mind, he did whatever he did. And, you know, he probably threw everything into his closet. But we, but a wise parent could walk in there and be like, okay, so I see that you have done some work here. You got those t-shirts put away. What else do you think needs to be done? And, or, or better yet, do it together when they're young. Like you don't have unrealistic expectations, but on the other side, like what you were saying, acknowledge, and this is what Nurtured Heart says really to make miracles out of molecules. So any steps in the right direction towards getting a task done is an opportunity to focus and hone in on the, the accomplishment. There's a little, you know, if they're taking a step in the right direction, if they're terrible getting homework done, they procrastinate, but gosh, you, they sat down and they they took their books out. You could acknowledge that. I see you moving towards getting your homework done. You already have your notebook out. You know, you could be sitting here looking at your phone and you're not, you already got your notebook out. And that shows me how cooperative you are, how responsible you are, what a hard worker you are. So you can, you know, jump in there in those moments and really connect that with that little bit of competency that they're showing when normally our knee jerk reaction is to kind of, okay, what's not happening here. Let me point all that out to you. Yeah. I love that. 
One of the things I wanted to ask you about is I love your approach and you talk about the fact that you are not a parenting coach, but rather a parent coach. And Mm -hmm. we discussed several of the um, sort of steps or um, items that you train your parents on in your Mm -hmm. course. One of the things we haven't, I don't think we've touched on is a bullet point on your website. It actually says future oriented. Do you want to touch on that just a little bit? Yeah. So I think the whole idea of a parent coach is relatively novel and a lot of people don't get what it is, think that it could be helpful. And Mm -hmm. so when you have a child who's misbehaving, quote unquote, or causing you, you know, challenges, more often than not, parents' first stop might be the pediatrician's office. Things are going terribly. What should we do? And they're going to give you the card of a therapist. And then maybe you're on that road. And next thing you know, you're getting medication. And I'm not saying those things aren't valuable or needed, but nobody stops and says, well, what could we do to what's going on with, with the parent here? And, and maybe we could make some changes here. So with therapy, it tends to go look backwards what happened to you and let's repair the past to help you have a better future with my work. I talk about what, tell me what's working right now. So it's very, um, sort of strengths based. So I, I don't, I do give you a chance to tell me everything that's wrong, but I'm definitely trying to get you to see what's right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that can be, that little seed oftentimes between my first and second call, people are like, Oh my gosh, we had a great week. I don't know what happened. It was just so <laughs> weird. And, and it, I love that because it's so small. It's just that I'm saying to you, where's the hope in your situation. And so I, I want you to see where, what part of the day, where are your best parts of your day or where, where does your family thrive? And every, most people, I've rarely had somebody, I think I've had one person who was just really at the bottom of a very terrible situation, but for the most part, most people can find those things pretty easily. They're just not concentrating on them. And then part of my work with them is to say, if you woke up tomorrow, so future base, what, and you're, you've actualized your dream. So life is not, you're winning the lottery, but like your life works exactly is how you would want it to work. Tell me like you woke up and what happened. So they're, they're dreaming, visualizing their ideal future. And that is so powerful because I make them describe it to me in detail. Well, wait, 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 let's go back to breakfast. So, so they are sitting here. Oh, that's the vision. And a lot of times that vision, they'll have a number of things that are already existing that they want, they, that things that they are like, oh yeah, you know what? That's actually already there. We actually do have a pretty easy morning or whatever it is. So we're, we're trying to get you towards the better future. Not, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm going to hear what, what's going on, but I don't really want to spend a whole lot of time dwelling on what you've been through because that's, that's for somebody else to dig into. My role <laughs> is to, to take you right now and let's, let's fly together forward beautiful perspective is everything. <laughs> it is. It is. It's so crazy. I mean, I it, I don't know that I would have been open and understood this as much at 30 or even 40 now I'm something more than that. And it's the life experience that you start to understand how how truly powerful it is. You can really shift a whole family just by planting that seed of hope and you really do have so much to be grateful for. Like think about that. That's amazing. What if you didn't have that thing? And what if your kids were doing this all day long? They're not. You have a, you know, you have a lot going really great. And it just makes people feel better and and feel where maybe they were feeling hopeless to start to feel hopeful. And that energy absolutely starts coming into the household just just from that call. Cause they get off, they feel like, oh, I've got hope. I'm gonna look for what's working. And and it just shifts everything. The kids feel the difference in the energy. They start to maybe react differently, but also the parents are starting to not hyper-focus on what's going wrong, but I'm trying to get them to hyper-focus on what's going right. Um, and it's not to be Pollyannish. I mean, problems are problems and, and they're, they, they feel terrible. But um, I think that shift towards looking forward, it has been really helpful in my work with parents. Absolutely. Well, I am just, I'm loving our conversation. 
I want to, one, I want to make sure that people know where they can find you and what you, if anything you have currently offered. So why don't we do that first? And then I'm going to ask you for our last thoughts and comments to our folks. Sure. So um, mainly you can find me at parentcoachcindy.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, and I think I'm terrible social media, but I think um, I do post a lot on Instagram. So I'm putting up content frequently um, at, and I think it is Parent Coach Cindy. And also um, I have a little TikTok. So I do that too, Parent Coach Cindy there. <laughs> and um, on Facebook, it might be Partner in Parenting, but it could also be Parent Coach Cindy. You can search both, but Great. you can always DM me on my website. There's a form, um, not a form, a, a um, contact button. I Anybody who thinks that they would want to um, see what it's about in a deeper way can reach out to me and set up an appointment right through my website. It directs you right to my calendar for a consultation um, and that's free. And that calls about 30 minutes. Um, and so if you want to reach out to me, I'm, you can get on there and get on my email list or email me um, at cindy at parentcoachcindy.com because I will add you to my email list if I'm going to be doing newsletters. I'm getting ready to start a small group coaching online, which will be less expensive. And the format would be biweekly meeting um, and I'll cover topic and then I'll have time for Q&A. So um, it'll be like a lower price point than just the individual coaching. And, and we'll yeah. put all these links in the show notes so that folks can find you easily enough um, just by way of a click. So we'll have okay. those there. And then before we close out today, I'm just going to ask you for what words of wisdom you would like to leave for our communities. I know that you have got, you've, you've got a slew of topics that we could have talked about today, mm -hmm. but what do you think is important to leave with our, with our listeners? I guess if I'm just going to hone in on one thing to think about is relationships. And, and I think I said it in the, in, in our speaking together that your relationship with your children is the most important thing. And if you focus on connection um, and fostering that connection, that I think will go a long way in getting, you know, you, you want to, like I said, at the end of the day, you want to have a child who's connected to you and still wants to come home and spend time with you rather than necessarily, oh, they achieved all of these things on my bullet list. <laughs> um, so just remember, you're the gardener, you're not the carpenter. So if you keep that in mind, um, that would be like a, to me, like a big piece of the pie. Thank you so much. I love your uh, bullet points, your words of wisdom. So I have several that I'll pull out. I feel like I need to post them somewhere in my house to remember them. So we're going to have to do that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. No, it was, it was so nice to talk to you. And I think it's awesome what you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much. We each have our own journey that got us to where we are today. And for me, these conversations are so valuable. I would love to hear your feedback from today's episode. Let's connect on social and let me know. If you'd like to hear more from our guests today, please check out the show notes for links to websites, podcasts, and any courses that are available. As always, friends, thank you for joining me today. It is my pleasure to serve you in this way. There is joy in knowing that we are not on this path alone. If you found this podcast meaningful to you, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps elevate the algorithm and allows more grand families to find us. We'll see you next time.